Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. If it's your first time tuning in, um, Employee of the Month is a show I started when I couldn't figure out how to break into TV writing. So I started interviewing people I admired about their careers. And in this episode, I sat down with the Tony Award-winning actor, Billy Crudup. I was actually supposed to speak with Greta Gerwig, but she was um, last minute had to go get a dress fitted in Paris for a film that they had both been working on. And I guess Billy had already gotten his dress fitted. So he was able to... Um, fill in last minute at Joe's Pub, um, which is where we recorded the interview and the live taping. Greta Gerwig will be on the February 25th um, live taping. If you're in New York, you should go to Employee of the Month show to check out all the upcoming dates, or you can just go to um, joespub.com or employeeofmonthshow.com because we have all the live dates up for January, February, March, April, and um, pretty incredible guests coming up. However, this one was really, really fun to do. Um, in part because Billy's career has been really interesting. He's had a really um, good ride. And in part, that's because he got this MasterCard commercial deal. I think you'll know the commercial. I'm not going to announce it. That's going to be a teaser. Um, and I don't believe that he spent all the money. He claims he did, but he must have made millions. He was doing it for years. And he said he spent it all on his son's private school education, but he's got one kid. Like, There's only so much educating that can be happening. I honestly, I, I just don't. I mean, unless he has signed up for every single extracurricular, um, I, I can't imagine that he's really blown through all of it. But what I did love talking to him about was um, Spotlight, a film he has a small part in, but it's a worthwhile role. And we spoke about what it's like to play a real life person who may not love your portrayal um, and the, the challenges, the inevitable challenges. It is a really great movie to see. It's going to probably sweep this award season, um, you'll hear the actors and journalists talk about how this is an excellent and important film for survivors of um, molestation and sexual abuse. And sure, that's definitely true. But I think it's, I don't know if it necessarily sheds light on how horrific those experiences are as much as um, the denial that is around us and the way that all of us, all of us, all of us fail to do our jobs properly and don't even realize it sometimes at the time and the, the redemption of being um, able to have a second chance. And thanks to Marty Barron, a phenomenal editor who's now at the Washington Post but was at the Globe, that um, chance became realized and you see how they systematically went about it. And I, I do hope you take away from that that it is never too late and that we all are culpable um, unfortunately, and it is up to us um, to figure out how we can do our job. And when I say do our job, I mean do 150%. And a huge part of that is just basic humanity. And it's so easy. It's so easy, even for the most well-intentioned, thoughtful people, to ignore major red flags. And I, I really recommend Spotlight um, because it does such an excellent job of showing what it requires in order to get um, really solid reporting out, which is um, time sometimes and 
obviously the willingness to go back and recheck your work and acknowledge you make mistakes because we all do. Um, on that note, it's also a really fun interview. I know that sounds really serious, but it was a lot of fun to do. So without further ado, here's my interview with Mr. Billy Crudup. seduction by the band but thank you do you feel seduced they were all in love with you well if you give us a moment (laughs) um do you need an american girl catalog are you all set even a a boy anyways um wait i'm sorry does this make me the employee of the month because i know that there's some other people involved in the interview so Employee seems singular. Wait, what do you mean? Uh, well, oh, you, you mean, mean other people other... are other people are winning? Yeah, how many? Yeah, Charlie also... Sheen is winning. No, no he's not. Um, <laughs> other people get named an employee of the month. That's right. You are not the only employee of the month. So couldn't it be employees of the month to Ooh, prepare me? He's got a point. For the let he's got down. A point. No, that makes no sense at all. Okay. We might need a battle at the end, you know? Yeah. Battle to the death for yeah. the final yeah. title. Yeah. Like a juggle yeah. off or something like that. <laughs> juggle. That's what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, we can do that. We can do it. No. Please, can we make um, that happen? I, I mean, I guess you could. Are they aware that I'm replacing uh, Greta Gerwig, who was supposed to be so here tonight? So Greta Gerwig was supposed to be here tonight. She had to get a dress fitted in France. Not the for first a film. time I've replaced Greta Gerwig. <laughs> she was originally cast in Watchmen. <laughs> no, but she's got a wonderful career, so I look forward to replacing her again in many things. <laughs> She's going to be back February 25th, so maybe you'll be back as well. So we'll see. I don't want to be on stage with her. She's much more charming and formidable. Okay, well, I'm glad you can be on stage with me then. (laughs) Get yourself a feature-length film. So not everyone dreams of being in front of the camera as a film star. There's cameras all over here, okay? So don't tell me you're not on camera. (laughs) I I know. Have a sip of your glass of wine over there. (laughs) Oh, no, we we gave it to the band. Are you going to really spend Do you want some? I'm just looking in your prop. I I know. I know. I have gifts for you. Okay, good. Um, So what would you like to know? Billy, are you settled in? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, good. I don't um, know if I should face them or face you. I think you should have left to see where it was, but you're okay. good now. You're happy. <laughs> oh, I was happier the other day. <laughs> Sorry. How are you guys doing? <laughs> so, uh, straight out of NYU, um, you were in grad school at NYU, and you... I heard that you did not do well in your audition for Arcadia, and like somehow you managed to get back in the room. Oh yeah, that's true. That's not a particularly uh, pithy story, but it's you know one that actors have to deal with um, all the time. So what actually happened was uh, back in 1995 or 1996, um, they were doing a production. They had already done a production of Tom Stoppard's play Arcadia in London. They were transferring it to Lincoln Center. Trevor Nunn was still going to direct it, and they wanted to find an American cast for it. So um, I went in and auditioned, fresh out of drama school. And um, I could tell the casting director wasn't thrilled with what I was doing and was trying to give me some adjustments, but I just wasn't capable enough to, um, 
Is it you the, or the or the? It was probably the writing. Okay. Uh, Tom Stoppard, you know. <laughs> I didn't know if it was the adjuster. Uh, no, no, he's uh, one of the most formidable casting directors okay. around. Daniel Swee. And he's may still I say, there. I think he's brilliant too. He is. I he's incredible. Um, so you should get to know <laughs> Daniel Swee. Okay. I'm sure he'll want to after I said that. <laughs> <laughs> he will. He's a classy guy. So as soon as I left the audition, I thought, now I know what he means. I can. I, I, didn't, I couldn't process it in the moment, I was too nerve-wracking, but if they let me have another chance, uh, I bet I could at least accomplish what he was asking me to do, and maybe I'd get the part. And um, so I told my agent that, and that's a, they hear that every day from every actor. Because yeah. um, you, you go to these auditions, and there's a lot of pressure. This is your livelihood on the line. This is the beginning of your career on the line. It's Tom Stoppard and Trevor Nunn. There were so many things about it that were important to me. Um, but they said, nope, you did fine. You just weren't right for the part. So I went and um, I was actually doing a small part in a movie called How to Make an American Quilt at the time. Now, if you don't remember me from How to Make an American Quilt, it's because I was fired um, <laughs> and replaced by Tim Guinea, um, a terrific actor during that time. So I didn't get the part in Arcadia and I was fired from How to Make an American Quilt, but I really, appreciated the fact that Daniel Sui had given me some adjustments that I could understand. So I started... What uh, were they? Well, stand up straighter. I can't remember what the adjustments were exactly. But it had to do with... Um, so this, the, the character I was playing... Do you really want me to tell you all? Are you really? You're I asked okay, the question. Okay, good. Fair enough. <laughs> don't get all... Uh, <laughs> let's just make How it civil. We don't, we don't have to be here all night. Let's How just make standing? it civil while we're all here. All right, all right. So... <laughs> So the, the, uh, the character that I was playing was a tutor of a very precocious and brilliant 13-year-old girl who ended up being a mathematical genius. And he thought himself a sort of Byron-esque visionary and felt kind of crappy that he was stuck in this job as a tutor. And so he had a level of self-consciousness about his own sense of humor um, that just takes, you know, a little bit of pause here and there to contemplate that he knows what he's saying when he makes these jokes. So you have to have a kind of self-awareness to do that. It's hard to do when you're under pressure, but I really liked the idea of the character with that sense of humor and agency and everything, so I started working on it with a friend, because I had a car at the time, and you have to alternate side of the street park it, mm -hmm. so when, when I was waiting, you know, during those times, I'd have my friend come over, and we'd rehearse the scene in, in my car, well, and uh, she was an aspiring actress as well, so we were sitting there doing the scenes from Arcadia. This so shady all So it's all true, <laughs> so then after like three weeks, they couldn't find anybody, and Daniel Sui said, do you want to come back in? And at that point, I had been doing it for three weeks. I knew it back and forth. I went in, and the next day, uh, Trevor Nunn came, and they, I got the part the day after. It's incredible. I thought there was a clip or something. Is there no clips? From, from Tom Savage. <laughs> Um, we can play them all night if you want, but I, I was so impressed that you had the chutzpah to, to, um, to say, well, can you when let me back in, when, when you just, just were in grad school. Well, when you're, when you're an actor, it's a three-year program. It's a very ambitious program. There's a lot of people. I mean, there was only 20 people in each class, and, and you know, there were some remarkable actors that came out of uh, there, and so... Everybody was interested in the idea of process. You know, that's what we really uh, were taught. We needed to, if we wanted to have a long and interesting career as an actor, we better get interested in process because result is very unreliable. 
And if you want to be effective and uh, grow as an actor, um, you should value the times when you learn things. And so that was like, by the way, I don't give a shit about that anymore, okay? I've lo I'm, I'm locked in. I, do, I know what I know and I do what I do. But back then, yeah. <laughs> I was prime and supple and uh, ready for action. Um, speaking of prime, supple, and ready for action, I think this is a good time for... Um, oh, wait, before we show that clip, I wanted... You were in, in these theater groups, like the one with Joanne Woodward, the Blue, blue Light Theater? Was I? And I'm asking? Sorry, I phrased uh, it funny. No, not that I recall. You no, do, I, did do a, I did do a production of Oedipus uh, that was... With, with Francis McDormand with Francis at McDormand Classic Stage Company? At Classic Stage Company that uh, was... Um, October 28th? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, was, it, was, um, it was an experimental production, but it was the... Um, Blue Light Theater Company that, 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 it was about four and a half hours long. I don't know if anybody here saw it. Um, there were two intermissions. At the second intermission, we had to offer pizza to get people to stay. <laughs> I have a, we have a photo of you suckling. This is called Oedipus. This is you with Francis. Oh, there we go, right there. Oh. Yep. I guess that's the third intermission. <laughs> That was our warm-up. <laughs> um, but I did want to show a clip of Prefontaine because I didn't know if everyone had seen that film and I loved it so much. Is that okay to, is that okay to show? Oh, sure. I okay, hope it's good. the one with me in it. I think it's all you, although you might... is basically an absurd pastime upon which to be exhausting ourselves. But if you can find meaning in the kind of running you have to do to stay on this team, chances are you'll be able to find meaning in another absurd pastime. Life. Look, Bill, what else do you call laying back for two and a half miles and then stealing a race in the last 200 yards? Winning! Well, I don't want to do that. You don't want to win? I don't want to win unless I know I've done my best. And the only way I know to do that is to run out front and flat out till I have nothing left. If you do believe in something, you tend to make people very, very nervous. <laughs> Aww. I saw you. Oh, yeah. I saw you. Coming back to me. Go out with other girls. I'd rather go out with you. So your talent is not some disembodied act of will. It's literally in your bones, so it's got its limits. Be thankful for your limits, Free. They're about as limitless as they get in this life. We'll be right back. American ready believes in himself utterly. There goes Cree. The real purpose of running isn't to win a race. It's to test the limits of the human heart. Absolutely. That's how I got 
to know you. It's Prefontaine. I'm thrilled you showed the whole thing because I was afraid you wouldn't get to the. It's the not on Netflix part. right now, so I want. Is it on Netflix? Or no, I don't no. know. So I wanted to make sure people could see it. No, you can still buy it on Betamax. Uh, That's I don't know right. if you guys That's right. or Laserdisc. I don't we know what VHS. you guys have. Um, but and. Donald Sutherland was playing the guy who ended up creating Nike, right? That's right, Bill Bowerman. Um, he was another Who's fan of. For, there we go, I running over. It. Or Bill Bowerman. Go or Nike! Oregon. Yep, go Nike. Um, he was uh, he was the track coach at Oregon, and um, he imagined that there was a, a a way to create a sole that would give his uh, runners an advantage, and it was the waffle. Um, uh, design for the sole. I don't have a better word for it than the waffle design, but that was what, what Nike is. started with. Yeah. And his wife was in that film. She, well, his, uh, the woman who played his wife was in the film. I think it was Judy. <laughs> <laughs> film had actors. Um, Prefontaine She's wasn't credited. in the movie either, but She's the guy who played him was. <laughs> She's credited. Okay. In the, she's um, credited. Is she credited? Yeah. yeah. I don't remember her hanging around. <laughs> she had a big part. She had a major part. If you'd seen the whole film, I think it was Judy. She replaced Greta Gerwig, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was probably Greta Gerwig. She was, she was on the All right. days you weren't. I mean, just as a star, you might Okay, but her. I mean, I was there pretty much every day. Yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like this, this film seemed to have put you on the, the map, and then Almost Famous, I feel like, made you famous. This, the global superstar that I am? The global superstar that you seem to, to shy away from being. No, no, no. <laughs> it's just that, actually, just after I did Almost Famous, I did Oedipus. So oh, wow. I was interested in lots of different things. Yeah. And um, so uh, the people who do movies tend to think that when you're working on plays, that you're not working and that you don't want to work. They don't count it as working. Right. Like, uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't consider that a part of your process as an actor. So they get kind of offended when you say, like, no, I don't, I don't want to come and do your movie because I'm, I'm doing this uh, Tom Stoppard play. And he's pretty awesome. He's written some cool plays. Tom Stoppard, same fan. <laughs> Bill Bowerman and Tom Stoppard. I've got you <laughs> pinned right now. Is that you, Mom? Who is that? <laughs> um... Uh, but they, they, they start to get a little antagonistic when you say, yeah. no, I don't want to drop out of this play to come do that, that movie. So after a while, they stop asking. Is that really what it was? It wasn't you sort of saying, I, I don't want to be pigeonholed as... Man, I've worked... When, when you're in acting school and you see people who are in, incredibly talented and driven and thoughtful about their careers, not be able to get any work at all, yeah. not be able to get agents... No, I understand. When you get a good part... When you get a good part, you better fucking take it. And I agree. The good parts that I was getting, they varied from independent film to uh, big studio movies to great plays. I got to originate three different Tom Stoppard parts. Um, I was in uh, Martin McDonough's The Pillow Man, uh, which was an extraordinary piece of theater. I read in an article where you said that you were, you were okay when people um, walked out, when they were uncomfortable and Oh, for out. sure, in Pillow Man. Uh, that, that was, I, I hadn't experienced theater that could be that arresting and uh, confrontational. In fact, there was one time I had these um, monologues where I would tell these sort of macabre stories. Not sort of macabre stories. They were horrifying stories. Um, and there was a man who had a heart attack. Uh, during one of them. He, he survived. Spoiler alert. Are you serious? He did not survive? He survived. He's fine. Wait, no. someone really... You killed? Um, 
anyway, it was a <laughs> gripping piece of theater. Uh, and it's rare that you get those opportunities, you know? Uh, so again, like I did that for maybe six to nine months. Um, and, and, and the people who make movies, again, they're like, up, oh, piddling away in the theater. I guess he's not working, doesn't want to work. Okay, wow. I thought that you were just turning them all down to do But theater. also, I, got, I had a phenomenal voiceover job for about 14 years. Yeah. So that allowed me to, um, I mean, I have a pretty low cost of living, so I don't, you know, um, I don't need to have lots of jets. No, no, or, I, I, I have one. That's enough. Um, but so, um, and actually, that just ended like two years ago or so. So I may be making some different choices in my career coming now, up shortly. Just curious, because that one... Um, in there that are one... some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. Yes. Let's show the one clip where you're actually in the commercial, I think. We have that oh, one. Yeah. Yes. That one. Um, but wait, let me ask you a question, because I know they say it's priceless, like life is priceless, but I was just curious like, about what's the price that they pay if you're the voiceover actor for 14 years. One million dollars. Wait, are you really serious? Lots of money. Jesus. And I could like blow through twenty of those in about. Can three I have or my drink minutes. ticket back? Yeah. <laughs> um, I spent it all, by the way. You did? Is that true? Gone. Is that Gone. really true? Yeah. Where did it go? My son's in private education, okay. so there you go. It's a good school. It's a good school, and he's now acting too, so he's doing already doing good stuff with it. Um, well, while we wait for the clip, um... We got gas, too, man. Chips. Three dollars. Frozen beverage, two dollars. Gas, thirty-one dollars. Starting a new life together? Priceless. Rekindling a fire that never went out. Satisfying a much-needed slushy fix? Priceless. There are some things money can't buy. For gas stations, there's MasterCard. Okay, very good. So, awesome. So when we shot that, I, I had been doing them for probably like seven or eight years at that point. And about midway through the shoot, the sound engineer comes up to me and goes, amazing job, dude. You sound exactly like him. <laughs> so... Okay, now you're doing some very serious films, and one of them I'm so excited to see is called Spotlight. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought we could talk a little bit about that film because it, it, it not, I, I talked to some Boston Globe reporters who thought it was, the film is so well done, they got to see it. Um, but I thought if you could explain it a little bit to people. Sure, it's essentially the story of uh, the, the Boston Globe uncovering um, the child abuse scandal that the Catholic Church was wrapped up in. Uh, this was around 2002, 2001, 2002. And um, it was a groundbreaking piece of journal uh, journalism because not many people were willing to confront, confront openly the infrastructure and the institutions that were supporting a, uh, a you know, long lineage of uh, abuse and uh, paying people off. And so uh, I thought it was, you know, really important story to tell and I thought um, I just have a small part in it but Tom McCarthy is one of my favorite filmmakers and a, a guy I've known a long time here and I, I've always been interested in working with him so I told him that I would you know play any part and it just the, the chance to get to work with him. Can we talk a little bit about the lawyer you played because he wasn't as excited about the movie even though he hasn't seen it 
Um, so I wanted to hear... <laughs> okay, let's start with the fact that he's a lawyer. <laughs> so he understands the law, and I have to be very careful about what I say. Okay, okay. So that I can save some of the money for the rest of my child's education. Okay. Um, no, the, the, the fact of the matter is, I think the story is a very humane one to everybody involved, um, with the exception of the perpetrators of this abuse. He, um, there... There, the film is set up in a narrative structure so that you're a little bit unclear as an audience member of who to blame. Like, do we blame the church for this? Do we blame the press for this? Do we blame the government for this? I mean, the statute of limitations for child molestation was something like, you know, three to five years or something. And none of these kids report this stuff until they're much older. Because of the shame. Yeah, it's simple. Yeah. I mean, you know, and these kids are kids that come from tough neighborhoods. And, the, and they're, none of their parents want to support the idea that their priests are come out nefarious. And all the guys that, and children that the priests preyed upon were already in difficult situations and filmed, filled with a lot of shame. So the priests were taking advantage of really horrifying circumstances. And they did that on purpose, you know, um, that's, that was part of the pathology. How do you balance like playing someone who's real and knowing that they're a human? So this guy, um, the way that he's structured narratively again, is that is sort of an antagonist at certain points, um, because he's a go-between between between the church and some of the victims. And, um, the way that you, the way that you always try to do it, I think, is all of us, um, we consider what we're doing from day to day ultimately is going to be good for us. Whether or not we're using long-term judgment or short-term judgment, every choice that we make is something that we think in that moment is going to be good for us. Sometimes it's uh, for the good of the community. Sometimes you look at me. Because I I think I get all of that. But like for you, like how do you balance like playing someone who's a real human being and also... Well, so that's it for me. I mean, all... The, the, the best that I can do with my career is to humanize the characters that I play. That's the absolute um, best I can uh, aim for and achieve. So, you know, most of the deliberation goes into the projects that I want to be involved with and the characters that uh, I have a chance to play. And if I can um, bring three dimensions to them, a complicated... And this is a complicated story that, you, that takes... Yes consideration every you know you have to take time to consider what this problem is in order to really uh undermine the inertia of this you know the force of these institutions that want to keep you from changing the system when everyone's culpable in this in this particular everyone is culpable that's the that's the point of the the story is it takes it takes all of us to contribute to this kind of institutionalized abuse Speaking of insti- hey, that's a good one, right? Speaking anyway. of institutionalized <laughs> abuse. Sorry, you guys are gonna have a nice Friday night out, didn't you? Speaking have some of- wine, a couple of yucks. <laughs> so you're doing that one in the Stanford. I want to see what the illustration on that one is. Oh. No, okay. Right. Um, and the Stanford experiment is also out. Yep, right another now. yuck fest. Uh, <laughs> So this was a guy named Dr. Philip Zimbardo. um, Psychologist. Psychologist. uh, And he, this took place after the Milgram experiments. And it was essentially um, a way to try to understand how how certain institutions are set up to change character in people, the behavior in people. So once you just put on the clothes of a police officer, your psychology changes. Once you put on the clothes of an inmate, 
your psychology changes. So he was interested in whether or not that had any kind of experimental basis. And so he set up this less than rigid um, psychological experiment where he had about 20 college kids. Um, and this was right around the time of the Attica riots. So uh, prisons in America were really being considered for the first time for the way that they had um, the institutions themselves were contributing yes. to the, uh, the uh, inability of, of them to recover, yeah. exactly, and the lack of uh, humanity in them. So um, he said, all right, I'll randomly pick these college students and see if anything happens between them and see if I can um, interpret that experimentally. And um, Well, it was a two-week experiment, and within a day there was already psychological torture and within five days they had to shut it down because there was physical abuse. So uh, it was a very provocative and interesting study and one that wasn't, um, you know, academically uh, uh, approved of. Like people have spent a lot of time and a lot of work, um, how do you say, undermining the results that they found. But um, he, uh, Zimbardo was subsequently called into uh, testifying the Abu Ghraib hearings. Yes. Um, so I think there, it, it was provocative enough uh, to, um, to be of, of interest. And the film itself is phenomenal. This guy, Kyle Alvarez, yeah. and the young actors that are in it are really uh, spectacular. Uh, and I think it makes everyone who didn't get into Stanford feel better that they didn't go there. <laughs> so it's a win-win in Did that you sense. not get in? No, I didn't apply. Oh, um, I got in. Is that true? No. no that's you majored not. in communications. <laughs> What is a communication? I would have major? if I tried. Um, and you also told me that you juggle. So I wanted to see, I know sure. what an. This was one of the things that I paid, uh, well, I went $80,000 in debt. Yes. Guess it wasn't priceless. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's suggesting the juggle off. Um, I, I always give people a little gift at the end, um, and I'm trying to give them gifts from other employees of the month, and Al Jaffe was one of my favorite employees of the month. He's Are you yes. I was a <laughs> subscriber to Mad Magazine. Oh my God, that's so amazing. So he's 90, 90 um, almost 95 now, and he's been writing for 60 years. He did the fold out. You can check out our podcast interview. Um, and this is a book about his life, and it, I was gonna say you can share it with your son, but I think you should um, read it first because I recommend this book, it's, but it's really um, terrifying what he lived through and really beautiful. And since you have such a gifted um, hand at playing uh, really troubled and tortured people, um, I thought you would also like this. Um, thank you thank very you much. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you to Alex Seiner. Thank you to Superfine Audio. Thanks to all of you for listening. Go to employeeofthemonthshow.com and get on the mailing list. Um, and you can also follow me at Twitter at Katie Lazarus. Um, we also have a Facebook page. And those are the best ways to keep up to date with um, who's coming on the show, who had to switch to another date, who decided to bring an umbrella. You know, all of the important things are all there. Um, otherwise, have a great day. Okay, bye. It could be evening. If you're if it's evening, you're gonna have to just figure out what to do, whether to have a great one or not.